a code rent for humanity, curb emissions and dramatically reduce consumption or face a world that is fundamentally different. When Kermit the Frog sang, it's not easy being green. I want you to know that he was wrong. He was wrong. There is no planet B. There is no planet blah. Blah, 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 blah. It is unequivocal that human activities are responsible for climate change. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista, Series 3, The Sky's the Limit. I'm Ian Collins and this is our weekly peek into the headlines covering all matters green. While our politicians party, lie and blackmail, we're in the background doing the very work they should be focusing on. The environment, the man doing his darndest to keep these issues live is the entrepreneur Dale Vince. Dale, morning. Morning, Ian. How are things? Good. All good. It's been an incredible week, hasn't it? I mean, there's, I mean, away from our agenda. I mean, over there in Parliament, what the hell is going on? <laughs> WTF, I think, is more appropriate yeah. for what's going on over there. I think so. I think so. But the government did, well, I guess they had a moment that they would call a victory. They beat a legal challenge to develop the oil and gas that we've talked about in the North Sea. So this still goes ahead. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, some activists brought a, a challenge to to the maximization of what's left in the North Sea on the basis that it was illegal and illogical, and they lost the case. The, the point was that um, the government pumps billions into North Sea production by way of subsidies and actually pumps more in by way of subsidies than it gets back by way of tax, Yeah, which is bizarre. And perverse, you would think, because we're told how vital fossil fuels are to our economy. Mm -hmm. uh, But the fact is, well, they're not. They're loss-making unless we subsidize them to the hilt. So the the activists uh, that brought the case are celebrating the victory that they've placed on the record the fact that we stick far more money into the North Sea by way of subsidies than we get back out in the way of tax. I mean, the, the oil and gas companies are making huge profits and you know they're being they're being subsidized but the um the confounding thing for me was that the judge bought into the carbon capture and storage myth he said because uh the north sea operators could use carbon capture and storage then maximizing the north sea wasn't inconsistent with net zero and and that's quite incredible actually because there's a real leap in that judgment yeah uh, because carbon capture and storage doesn't work you know, it simply doesn't work. And the oil industry talks about it all the time as the reason why they don't have to shut down. I think a government minister said, you know, we can't turn it off overnight. It's not about extinction, it's about evolution and this kind of stuff. And carbon capture and storage is the myth at the heart of that claim. So would the, is this one of those sort of classic cases where the judge has looked at the complexity, the minutiae points within the law, and technically he is right, or... Is he just a dick? <laughs> it might be both. I mean, there's a possibility on both scenarios, as you say. Technically, according to the law, he'll be right, although the, the activists involved are planning an appeal. But I think where he's wrong is to have made that subjective comment, to have, have accepted wholesale, really, yeah. the myth that carbon capture and storage can work. I mean, he talks about it like it's here. 
And he says they can use it like it exists and it works and it's available and it's economic. Curious. And none of those things are true. Curious. Yeah, they're just demonstrably not true. Uh, yeah, so, so that may open the judgment up to a challenge, I would think, because he's yeah. based his decision on that. Carbon capture and storage means that it's not inconsistent to maximize the North Sea while pursuing net zero. So that I think that's fundamentally flawed judgment. Um, here's a point from Gary on Facebook. Not a question, Dale. Just wanted to say I really enjoyed the audio book, but disappointed you didn't get Ian or Mike Graham to narrate a couple of sections. Oh, damn, that's such a good idea. I think you should just get uh, Mike Graham to do the whole book next time. That would just it, be a very angry book, won't it? Gary, you should have told me this months ago. That's a yeah. great idea. It's a great, yeah. A bit late now, Gary. Goodness me. <laughs> Whistleblowers say the Environment Agency no longer deters polluters. This is a worrying headline. Yeah, very worrying headline. And I read the article. I mean, as you dive deeply into it, it's quite a long one. And there, there are a lot of things being said by these whistleblowers who are staying anonymous because the boss of the Environment Agency has made clear he'll sack anybody that criticizes the agency. What they're saying is that the agency is now seeking to become commercial. It's selling the right to pollute rather more aggressively uh, as a business model than it is prosecuting people that do pollute, uh, which is a wow. bit weird. But that's at the heart of their claims, really, that uh, that money is being taken from the front line. They're not responding to low-level pollution incidents anymore. They're finding it very difficult to uh, prosecute the uh, the incidents that they do attend because of internal rule changes. Yeah. And the agency is much more focused on generating revenue by selling permits to pollute. I mean, that's beyond extraordinary, isn't it? That's a Trump era kind of uh, revelation in that you think this is happening in the US right now. Yeah. You know what I mean, but no, it's happening here. Yeah. Well, in a kind of upside down world, BlackRock, uh, the, the biggest, well, I think the world's biggest investment organization, their CEO, the chief exec, uh, Larry Fink, uh, came out this week uh, and said that pushing climate policies was about profits, not about being woke. Yeah, I thought you were going to call them the world's biggest corporate bastards then for a minute. I don't know why I thought that. I mean, that's not like you. Your nan may have said it would that. would have been, yeah, my old nan. She never had a good word to say about the Black Rock boys, ever. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and I love his name because I'm pretty sure Fink is like some kind of American colloquialism for some kind of, uh, you know, bad guy, some kind of rat, you know. It, I mean? well, it's a cartoon character, isn't it? Surely. Larry Fink is up there's there's Bugs Bunny, there's Porky Pig, there's Larry Fink. You know, he's in that ballpark. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we shouldn't mock his name overly because actually what he said is uh, is fantastic. You know, we, we need to be in a place where the corporate bastards of the world are saying, actually, the environment is about making money. It's not about ideology. It's not about politics. It's not about being woke. Yeah. There's there's profit to be made here. He talks about reasonable profit, so that's a good thing. I've got no problem with capitalism that you know works within reasonable bounds. Yeah, it has to be when it becomes regulated. criminal, it's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Which it so often does. <laughs> yeah, and so you know, and I love what he said because he he has an awful lot of attention and respect from the world of business. The yeah. world of business is really important to how we solve the climate crisis and get to net zero. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, he's making it very plain. It's simply a business thing. That, so I, and I we, we've talked about this for a couple of years now, Dale, haven't we? That, that, you know, that it's the way to look at it for those that aren't on board in one respect. We'll look at it in this respect. And, you know, in, certainly in the United States, there's a, a, a growing, slowly growing, but growing body of Republican politicians that spotted this. Uh, you know, there's money in them, they're green hills. So, yeah. uh, you know, wh wh why not adopt it? 
And if it's saving the planet along the way, that's a good thing. Uh, but they're looking at it from a business perspective, and Larry Fink is chipping in on that, that very same narrative. And you need people of this magnitude, really, I guess, to, to talk out in this way. Yeah. And interestingly, BlackRock have fallen out of favor with the West Virginia authorities who've stopped using them for their investments because they've called for this transition to net zero. Yep. And, uh, and the West Virginian authorities are saying, well, that's harmful to our local economy, which must be fossil fuel based. And, and so you've got corporate people, you know, money pursuing uh, business people, you know, clashing with the, with the fossil fuel industry kind of focused mm. uh, public authorities. It was really interesting. You know, I mean, they're doing the job of lefty activists, except they're doing yes. it from a place where... Yeah, 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 you know, from the boardroom. Yeah, it's not lefty activism, actually. Yeah, didn't have to climb a tree or stuff themselves down a hole to make the very same point. <laughs> yeah. No super glue required. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, just a big 78-foot oak table in the boardroom, which does the job, apparently. Uh, here's a question from Colin on Twitter. Does the energy crisis get worse if Russia invades Ukraine? Very serious situation, of course, going on at the moment. It's not looking good, Putin making all the uh, the worst kind of noises on this, but does it affect the energy crisis, Dale? I think it's bound to, because, you know, it's clear that the West won't react militarily. It will be with uh, heightened sanctions. And, and, you know, we apply a lot of them already to Russia. It surprises me that Russia still supplies gas to Europe, actually, yeah. under these circumstances. But I think if there's a conflict and they're hit with biggest sanctions, you can imagine there being a problem with the gas flow, which will exacerbate the energy crisis in Europe for sure. Question from Kim. Any news on the Forest Green Rovers Stadium development? Because uh, we, we've talked about, I think there's going to be an update on next week's podcast, by the way, on this. Uh, yeah, I mean, there is stuff happening next week, actually. We've, we've got a media day on Thursday, I think, because we've kicked off a program of uh, archaeology, some, some digging on site, because there's a Roman villa on site. Um, it's been ploughed over a few times by farmers over the years, but uh, we think it's still largely intact under there. And we've got, to, we've got to basically survey the entire site before we start work. And our first piece of work is on some training pitches, and we hope to start that in the spring. So we're kicking off archaeology next week. At mm -hmm. the same time, we're putting in a new application for the business park and the stadium and some housing and some kind of bunch of other stuff it's for the whole site and it's aligning itself with the local plan review which is going through uh, the review process now it should all come out back end of next summer there should be a new local plan with eco park in it for the first time it hasn't been before which has been one of our problems and the business park will be in it which is going to open the door to progress on that side and we should have built some training pitches so there's some progress there for sure uh, here's a headline that goes back to uh, something we were just talking about with the court case. Carbon capture, so-called carbon capture facility, secures under half of hydrogen production emissions. What did you make of this? Yeah, I thought timely. Uh, and as you say, it kind of ties into what the uh, yeah. the, the judge said. You know, he, he thinks carbon capture is an existing economic technology in the world that oil companies can use to deal with their emissions. Well, excuse me, my lud, but what's happening in Canada says actually they can deal with less than 40% of their emissions using carbon capture and storage. So that's really interesting. And maybe if they do appeal, these uh, these activists, they can use this kind of story to point out the, um, the fallacy in the myth of carbon capture and storage is hugely uneconomic. Uh, you know, it's not been established uh, anywhere in the world, actually. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, that should be enough for any judge to look at and say, maybe I got this wrong to go back to that first story. I never know, do you? 
Uh, interesting. While the boardroom of BlackRock are changing tone and tact on the environment, ExxonMobil is not, because they've come out with a beauty here. They're attempting to use an unusual law uh, to target and intimidate its critics, claiming that lawsuits against the company over its long history of downplaying and denying the climate crisis violate the U.S. Constitution's guarantee of free speech. Interesting, isn't it? It's an interesting. It's essentially idea. the First Amendment. Yeah. America's that they're claiming the climate crisis or denying the climate crisis is protected by the First Amendment. Yeah, but look, they may be right, but I don't think it will protect them from being sued for causing the climate crisis. So look at tobacco. Yeah. I mean, big tobacco got sued successfully for its product. Not so much for the fact that they denied the product was harmful, but for the fact the product was harmful. Yeah. Uh, look at, uh, is it the Sacklers, the people behind the opioid crisis in America? Yeah, yeah. You know, they've been sued successfully as well for the product. In this case, the product is causing the climate crisis. It doesn't matter what they say about it. I don't think, you know, I mean, who cares? Yeah. Let them have the free speech. I think the law will catch up with them. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? How companies like Exxon and others uh, are, are going to kind of, you know, how, how do you go around... You mentioned the cigarette thing, you know, where uh, gradually people have stopped smoking, although I think over the course of the whole world, smoking rates in some of the more developing countries are still worryingly high, etc. But companies like Marlboro, you know, used to use doctors to say, you know, we recommend Marlboro Red, and they had that, that which is extraordinary looking back on it, and they had that cowboy bloke, um, who I think curiously died of lung cancer. Hey, no shit, Sherlock, you know. But they've tried to if they can, diversify into other areas now, um, and I think vaping is probably an area. What do oil companies do? How would they change their business model? I think renewable energy has to be the vaping, doesn't it? And scientists are their doctors. You know, they trot out the odd scientists to question climate crisis yeah. and climate science and that kind of stuff. But clearly the transition has begun. Oil companies know that uh, – you know, they, they need to move away from fossil fuels and into renewable energy. And, you know, the new rearguard action they're fighting yeah. is that, as the minister, I think it was Kwasi Kwarteng said, we can't turn it off overnight. Nobody's suggesting that. That's a bit extreme. But the new frontier for the oil companies is to argue that we need a transition. It's all about the transition. It's all about carbon capture, how we can still have fossil fuels. We can capture the emissions, you know, some kind of mythical world in which they have a future with their big reserves of oil and gas. Yeah. Um, and, and really, it's just about slowing down the speed of the transition. They know it's coming. And um, finally, a question from Linda on Twitter. Dale, what TV shows do you enjoy? You don't have a telly, do you? No, I don't have a telly, but I have an iPad. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I can get the internet so I can watch stuff. <laughs> such a modern guy, Dale. Oh, I'm such a modern guy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, recently, I was watching Raised by Wolves, actually. I think it might be on Netflix, but it's a really... Really great piece of sci-fi. Yeah, uh, some was. some religious nuts and uh, and some atheists, you know, basically destroy the earth in a war and yeah, shoot yeah. off to some distant star and continue the the battle. But uh, it's yeah, really interesting. What about the Leonardo DiCaprio "Don't Look Up" movie? The sort of satirical pop. Have you seen any of that? I loved it. I, I mean, I really loved it. I thought it was brilliant and and so true to life. But I love the ending as well. I, can we talk about the ending? Is yeah. that a spoiler for people? Yeah. So they land on a planet, you know, 20,000 years away uh, in, in uh, time and travel-wise and uh, <laughs> get eaten by dinosaurs. It's pretty cool. Brilliant. A great way to finish. <laughs> great way to finish a, a TV program and this episode, Dale. 
Have a cracking week, and we'll speak next week. Nice one. Thanks, Ian. See you later. Cheers. That's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Do leave a review there as well. And if you want to get in touch, very simply, you can email zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk. And really important bit, follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince. Zero Carbon East Off.